0: Today in The Journey, Pastor Steve DeWitt shares a message about the sovereignty of God.
1: We're entirely responsible for the choices that we make, and we exercise a kind of freedom. We are free moral agents under the sovereign power of God. The Bible teaches that both of those things are true. I don't understand it, but God's ways are higher than my ways. The Bible says both are true, and so I'm going to teach both are true.
0: Welcome to The Journey with Steve DeWitt, Senior Pastor at Bethel Church in Northwest Indiana. Although the Bible affirms both human responsibility in our choices and God's sovereign control, the core of our faith rests in the understanding that salvation is not earned through our works. It's a gift from God. Today, Pastor Steve explores the mysterious yet beautiful intersection of human responsibility and God's sovereignty. You can find related resources online at thejourney.fm. Now here's Pastor Steve DeWitt with an enlightening lesson titled, Sovereign Grace, I Choose You.
1: All right, The Upper Room. Let's get into our message today, The Upper Room. We've been in the series for many months now, and I hope that as we've done this, The Upper Room has moved up your personal wish-I-could-have-been-there list You may have that in the Bible, you know, David and Goliath or, you know, the resurrection or some moment like that, the top 10. Man, if I could go back in the Bible and be there, I hope the upper room is moving up your list because when you think about the the precious moments and the teachings, you know, Jesus washing the disciples' feet, identifying Judas, uh, you know, these teachings that uh, so many of them are profound, wonderful, life-transforming, like Jesus saying, I am the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Oh, just a bit been there, like how do you say it? And to realize the significance of it, it is truly precious. And amid the wow moments of the upper room and the teachings in what's known as the upper room discourse or the farewell discourse, is a very important verse that I don't want us to skip over. We're gonna spend our whole day on this one verse, and it's John 15, verse 16. John 15, verse 16. Here's what it says. Jesus, words of Jesus, you did not choose me, I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Surely one of the most important themes in all of the Bible is a consistent theme, Old Testament and New Testament, that salvation, this is Jonah, salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord. And maybe that's, if there's a key takeaway I want you to walk out with, that's probably it. But I want to talk about that in terms of what Jesus says about who does the choosing. And when you think about salvation coming from God, most Christians, if not all Christians, would affirm that salvation is something that God does. But the vast implication that salvation is from the Lord rubs human pride the wrong way and has produced then flashpoints on debated doctrines that insist that salvation is 100% From God. When we think about what that means, it certainly means that salvation, in salvation, that God is sovereign. Okay? Sovereign. I want you all to love the word sovereign. Only to ask the question, just how sovereign is he? Mostly sovereign, a lot sovereign, all sovereign. And if he is all sovereign, then how do we fit into within salvation, how we are saved. Did I pick Jesus, or did Jesus pick me? So let me read this little clause again. Let it sink into your heart today. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you. Our choices, we think about choosing. you got to realize that when God chooses, he chooses in a different way than we choose. Our choices are options within circumstances that we largely, if not completely, have no control over. We are trying to make the best choice, and these circumstances are unforeseen to us often, and the consequences are uncertain to us. Yet we make choices. These choices are contingent choices. You might make choices. Some people are really that I gotta have contingency plans. Okay? So we make a choice, but then we got plan B and C and D. And if this doesn't happen, then we're gonna do that. And you know, we are we make contingent choices. God never has made, never will make a contingent choice. God makes choices according to the purpose of his sovereign will, the mysteries of his will. God is never worried. God never makes a choice and goes, I hope it works out okay. He is never surprised what a wonderful truth that is. Apply that to the surprises of your week. He does everything, here's Ephesians 1.11, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So Almighty God makes choices very different than you standing in front of the flavor selections at Cold Stone, where you're like, I'm not sure about this, which one might I like? No, no. His choices are eternally determined and sovereignly, by his omnipotent power, exercised. So when we think about God choosing, we have to understand he chooses very different than we choose. So let's walk through the choosings of God in Scripture, and we'll come back then to John 15, verse 16. But let's just go back in the story in what, in what clear indications did God choose? Here's the first one. We should all be thankful for this. God chose to create everything. He chose to create everything. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. We live our lives, we assume so much, like the sun's going to come up tomorrow, better bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow. You know, we, just, we live in this created world with rhythms and times. Now, we play with the, our watches every once in a while, like on a day like today, but God, God uh, chose to create everything. Did he have to do that? That actually is a deeply theological question. Did God have to create because if God's glory is the purpose of creation to not create would be to act in a way that doesn't maximize his glory and God is committed ultimately to his glory so if creating maximizes his glory and incarnating Jesus and redemption maximizes his glory you know would it be wrong for him not to I leave that to your ponderings. But the point is this, that God chose to create the universe, the earth, image bearers on this earth, human beings. He chose to create you. I wonder if this morning you stopped and thanked God for existence, that you are, that you is and is. We should be thankful for that. Otherwise, we would not be, and I would rather be than not be, because to be or not to be, that is the question. Somebody remind me of that, so it's not in my notes. I can use that second service. That would be most helpful. So God chose to create. Secondly, God chose within the angelic rebellion. Now, we don't know a lot about how this all went down, but we know a few things about this. That after God created the angels, Satan led a rebellion against God and created angels. Many of them followed Satan in that rebellion. These are known as fallen angels. And God chose to incarcerate some of them, but not all of them. You say, well, what are you talking about? Here's 2 Corinthians 2.4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment, I don't have a lot of time for angelology this morning, but just to note here that Satan was not one of the angels that God placed into jail, if you will, into the gloomy dungeons after they rebelled against him, and many, many others he also didn't. And we know that because in Jesus' ministry, he was oftentimes casting out demons. So you had many that rebelled, but then you had millions of angels. We don't know the number, myriads upon myriads of angels that did not follow Satan, and they are called elect. Here is 1 Timothy 5.21, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, and of the, note elect angels. Wait a second. Somebody elected them? Like, who was doing the choosing in this moment of rebellion? And when exactly were they elect? Was it before the rebellion or was it after the rebellion? Hold on to that question. We're going to get into it here. But I, as I note this, and we talk about doctrines like this, it's funny how we have sort of different categories. So when we think about uh, Satan ordained to hell, I'm pretty good with that. Are you good with that? I'm good with that. We think about the, uh, the demons ordained to hell. Is anybody, the, anybody upset with that thought? I'm not. I'm totally good with that. And even some really wicked people like Hitler, you know, I think I'm okay with that, generally speaking. It seems appropriate, right? People like us? Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We've gone too far in the choosing. We move on in the story of redemption that God chose Noah and his family. God chose Abraham as well. We think about Noah and Abraham, these eminent heroes in the Old Testament story who were chosen by God, amongst all of the ancient people of that day, why were they chosen? They were chosen by the grace of God. They were not chosen because either of them deserved it. Both of them received it. Indeed, Abraham, Paul makes the huge point in Romans, believed and was justified Before God by faith, it was not his righteous life that God goes, okay, I'm gonna make you righteous. No, the life was after, the believing was after he had been justified. He was not justified by his own righteous life. Let's keep walking the choosing here. And by the way, as I do this, you might wanna know, I'm basically walking through Romans chapter nine, where Paul uses these now very same illustrations to make the very point I'm making today you realize that God chose Isaac, not Ishmael? God chose Isaac, not Ishmael. Now, God was gracious to Ishmael. You can go back and read the story. But Isaac was the son of promise, not Ishmael. God chose Jacob, not Esau. And they were twins. They were in the same womb. And Esau was the firstborn. And speaking as a firstborn, I think he should have been chosen. (laughs) But no, it was Jacob. Here's how Paul relates this in Romans 9, verse 11. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And if, if you hear that and you're like, wait, that doesn't sound fair, you are thinking exactly what Paul thinks you should be thinking. Because here is the very next words in Romans 9. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Here's the key thing. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on who? Us? No, no, no. God who has mercy. Where does salvation come from? We're right back in in Jonah 2. Salvation comes from the Lord. It is not our will. It's not our choice. It's not our exertion. It's not our righteousness. But it depends entirely on the mercy of God. And when you realize this, at this starting point, now when Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you, you start to realize what he's saying. Now let me address one of the challenges that this concept brings up, and that is that uh, in in our culture, we are generally taught, in liberal theology, we are generally taught that people are good They're good people who sometimes do bad things. And so then something like this comes along and it feels entirely unfair that God would choose some to be saved. But if our starting point is not that we are good people who deserve heaven, but that we are fundamentally sinful people, the fact that God would choose anybody That seems unfair because fair is that we all go to hell. Romans 3, there is none righteous, no, not one. I don't care who you are here today. You are by character, by nature, and by choice, a sinner. So am I. And fair, we don't don't want fair, okay? People that say, I want fairness, okay, we all go to hell. Fair is everybody goes to hell. Everybody is judged for their sin. That's fair. But Ephesians 1 4 points out that God chose us in Him before the foundations of the world. Think of that. Before creation, God began to love sinners. So God, in his mercy and his grace, exercises his sovereign power and will and exhibits his amazing love and provides a way for sinners to be forgiven of their sins, for sinners to be saved, which some, not all, access by faith. Is that unfair that God saves some? Well... In human affairs, we actually admire this. And I give you an example of this from, uh, from World War II. If you were today to go to Jerusalem and go to the Holocaust Museum there, Yad Vashem, they have the Avenue of the Righteous where they honor people who advocated and, and helped the cause of the Jews, particularly, I think, during World War II. And there is a tree and on the, at the base of the tree is a plaque and it says, Oscar Schindler. You might recognize that name from Spielberg's movie, Schindler's List, which tells the story of Oscar Schindler, who was a uh, manufacturer, he, he was a businessman. And after Germany took over Poland, he purchased some factories in Poland and was producing things, but behind the scenes, it was actually cover for him to hire Jews to keep them from the gas chambers in Auschwitz. And by his efforts, he personally saved a thousand Jews from the gas chambers of Auschwitz. He didn't save all of them Yet he is lauded as a great hero in the story of humanity. And there are movies and books written about him. Jesus didn't choose everyone to be his disciple. That upper room would have to be huge if he said, y'all, my disciples now. No, he he chose 12. And you might say, yeah, but okay, he looked around and he looked for the very best, like the super righteous people that he could have as his disciples. And you would be wrong. And how do we know that? Because we know a lot about these disciples. What do we know about these guys? Well, they were cheaters. We have Matthew, the tax collector. They were all selfish, power-hungry nutjobs. And I have Praise God for redemption, and maybe, maybe I shouldn't say that. They, this is pre-redemption, but they really, not Jobs is too strong, but only by a little. Like they, here's Jesus talking about his death, and they're talking about which one of them is the greatest. What else do we know about them? Well, James and John were ready to practice genocide on some villages and asked Jesus if they could call down hev- uh, fire from heaven and destroy them. Those are nice people. There was likely one political assassin in the group. And we look in the story. They were deserters at Gethsemane. They were faithless during Jesus' internment. They were cowards on Easter Sunday, locking themselves in the very upper room we're talking about. Who do these people sound like? They sound like the flawed people you and I know and that we see when we look in the mirror every day they sound a lot like us Jesus you really <clears throat> you need to review your vetting process for disciples because you picked the wrong people to be on your team i'd recommend a, a personality test or two perhaps to weed out some of the bad apples there that might be a help Did you check references on these guys before you assigned them to your group? Because you chose to your first staff some real losers. Why would you choose them? And friends, Christian doctrines that draw lines are always the controversial ones. Lines between the saved and the unsaved, the sheep and the goats, the wheat and the tares, these stories that draw lines strike humans as too distinguishing and too arbitrary. And yet, who is good and who is not? Is this the basis of salvation? No, it is not. Here's 1 Corinthians 1. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose, there's the word, what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are Why? so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Why is the gospel and salvation engineered the way that it is? We see it here. So that no human being will ever stand before God and go, you know, I had 0.5% of this whole thing. No, there is no boasting about any of it. Salvation is entirely the mercy and the grace of God.
0: That was Pastor Steve DeWitt reminding us that our standing before God is solely through His grace. You're listening to The Journey and a message titled Sovereign Grace, I Choose You. It's from the Upper Room series. If you'd like to replay this message or access others from this series, then subscribe to our podcast. Just search your favorite podcast app for The Journey with Pastor Steve DeWitt or visit our website at thejourney.fm. On our website, you can also find our message archive, send us an email with your questions or comments, or find practical Bible studies. Again, that's thejourney.fm. Well, right now, I want to take a moment to thank our ministry partners. Your consistent financial support enables the journey to broadcast on stations across the central U.S. and the Midwest. Additionally, we reach listeners globally through the Moody Radio Network and major podcast platforms. As we continue our mission your generous contributions will help us maintain a strong financial foundation. Whether big or small, your donation will help bring the gospel to listeners worldwide. To support The Journey, call 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or you can give online at thejourney.fm. And thank you for your support. To express our gratitude for your generosity, we'll send you a book that pairs perfectly with our current series. It's titled, The Upper Room, Jesus Parting Promises for Troubled Hearts. It's by best-selling author and pastor, John MacArthur. This book will bless you by revealing some of the most poignant and powerful promises for believers in all of scripture. You can request your copy today by calling 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763, or visit The Journey, Well, I'm your host, Tim Svoboda. Be sure to join us next time for more teaching from Pastor Steve DeWitt here on The Journey. Today's program was produced and furnished by Bethel Church in Crown Point, Indiana.